Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech outlasted Pitt 20-14. Robbie, it was an amazing ending. Give us a cheers. Will do. Because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face. Now I can't make you do it. You gotta look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now I think you're gonna see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're gonna see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're gonna do the same for him. That's the team, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a team, or we will die as individuals. That's football, guys. <laughs> that is football. Beaming. We be beaming right here. <laughs> so in lieu of a cheers, you went with Al Pacino. <laughs> Al Pacino from Any Given Sunday. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's multiple reasons. That audio from now on from this point forward, will only be used at the most grandiose moments. And I feel like the the four-down stop at the one-and-a-half-yard line with UVA hate week coming up right now and the team not playing very well outside of the defense, which is playing out of their minds, but overall, the team not playing very well, I thought it was a perfect segue. Granted, it's any given Sunday. It's about the NFL, but I thought it was a good fit here because that's how I feel. I was... I was feeling kind of down after the two losses. It was senior week. The team pulled through, and you know, I figured it was appropriate. Why don't we just cheers to the seniors then right after that? Let's do it. Cheers. That really was a legendary ending to any Virginia Tech game I've ever seen. It was awesome, and you're right. The spot in the season and how we've been playing – and how things could have spiraled afterwards if we don't pull it off. So to me, it felt huge. We have a little bit of momentum going into UVA. So I'm with you, man. And I, I like it. That that movie always kind of cracks me up because it's like overly serious, but there's these comedic moments and it's very dramatic. But you're right. Some of the, the speeches and the quotes are really good from that one. Yeah, that, that was a speech that me and my buddies in college used to actually listen to before we'd go out for a heavy night of drinking to get <laughs> like pumped up. That was That's not a joke. That is exactly what we would listen to before we would go out. It's one of the most amazing football speeches, I think, uh, in, um, in the movies that you can find. All right, let's do our news and notes. And let's just start with basketball again. We're 3-1. and one. We ended up losing that game to the Billikens of St. Louis. It was ugly. Uh, anyone who watched it knew we couldn't make our free throws. We kept throwing the ball out of bounds and compounding every single problem that we had uh, with our shooting woes. And we bounced back nicely the next night against Washington. Scored 100 again, and Bibbs dropped 30. Uh, Ahmed Hill was 6 of 6 from 3. We can shoot the ball a little bit. I'm liking what I'm seeing from this team. We actually have a game tonight. It just ended against Houston Baptist. We scored 99. Almost came close to scoring 100 again, but fell just short. Bibbs had 25 and 11 of 13 from the field. It's nice to get him back. Yeah, it started off uh, a little bit slow, and I I think um, there's a lot of concern and pause about uh, the defense, but in the end, um, they're finding a way to win games. Uh, that that game was um, that we lost was was really bad uh, against St. Louis. Uh, that was I watched almost all of it, and we kept kind of coming back and putting ourselves into the game a little bit, just enough for your heart to be like, okay, maybe we have a chance. Uh, we didn't really have a chance in that entire game, in in retrospect, which is too bad. But. Um, we have some time, hopefully a little bit of time. Not, It's dwindling to get things together here. Yeah, we have some big matchups coming up. Iowa next week in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I think Ole Miss is shortly thereafter. And then the big one against Kentucky in mid-December. So let's hope these tune-ups and some of these bigger games are getting us ready for that really, really big matchup 
in Lexington, which I'm actually going to be attending. And you and I and a couple of friends of mine are going to be doing a podcast preview of that game as well. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for you to get to go to that game because that's that's an amazing opportunity. And then also to preview it and everything, it's going to be fun. Yeah, two really big Kentucky fan friends, the Drake brothers, uh, they're going to help us preview that one. They'll give us all we need to know and probably scare us a little because that's going to be really difficult to win against all those five stars. All right, let's get into football. We're back in the AP poll. We're number 24. We're also back in the committee rankings. They just came out a little bit ago. We're number 25. Just snuck right in there. 33rd in the right behind, <laughs> right behind South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, South Carolina and Boise State ahead of us. Um, it's amazing that after that South Carolina win against NC State, when we thought that's going to be such a bad loss for NC State, they're now like 8-3 and three just like us, and they're in the top 25. It's kind of crazy. 33rd in the S&P for Virginia Tech, 24th in the FEI, 18th in Sagarin. And in the F slash plus rankings, which is the S&P com- combined with the FEI, we are also in the top 25 at number 25. Yeah, you and I talked a little bit about the S&P movement, which I think is always fun to kind of take a look at the analytical approach uh, of what the team's doing. A big drop for us um, that we saw mostly due to the offense. I think we are still, and you can correct me, number 12 on the defensive S&P Plus or thereabouts. It's 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 still pretty it's high. It's 13, but yeah, it's right there. Yeah, and we're in the 90th, you know, almost at the 100th in the nation on the offense. That's that's really what's been pulling down our ranking. Interestingly, there's there's nothing surprising about that on the offense. You and I had a quick conversation about what the defensive breakdown uh, was in the way that Bill does his stats. And I thought it was a mirror image of what we've seen this year in terms of how he runs his stats, that our efficiency is extremely high. The explosiveness that we've given up is um, really, really, I guess, the other way around. Like, really low is a good thing on the efficiency, and then we're really high on explosiveness. We're giving up huge plays for how good our defense is. And it mirrored what we're seeing on the field almost perfectly. So if it gives you a sense of, you know, why the S&P plus, you know, a lot of people put their, um, you know, put a lot of thought behind it and, and, and analyze it a lot and what it means for teams. It's because it oftentimes over the course of the year starts to, you know, really show in number format where you are performing as a team. Moving on from the rankings, there's fear of a ACL tear with Vinny Mahota. I don't know if you've heard anything about this. Uh, I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but I'm really sad for him if that's the case. He's out. Season. Um, Yeah, just uh, it was over the last uh, hour and a half. The only reason I was on because I couldn't watch the um, I couldn't watch the Virginia Tech basketball game because I didn't want to get on the stupid ESPN app. Uh, So I was following Twitter pretty closely, and uh, I'm almost positive i'll confirm it here in two seconds but almost positive it popped up that he's out for the year it was an announcement a little bit ago and there's also questions on mook's status yet again he on that last play of the pit game where jester Wee was running down the field you saw mook sprawled out like he was unconscious after he ran into wea and uh, he was kind of hurting before last week's game so we'll see what his status is throughout the week as well yeah, and Mahota, I just looked, is yeah out for the rest of the season. Gaines has been playing well at defensive end. So we swap him in for Mahota. He's been playing at a pretty high level. We shouldn't have too much of a drop-off. It's just a hit to our depth, as we know. All right, let's get into the pit game recap. This is going to be a little bit more fun than the last two that we've had to do. We started the game hot, scored on the first drive, 10 plays, 75 yards. We had the long play to Cunningham and then the rush TD by Josh. Pitts answered back soon thereafter with a TD to Araujo Lopes after converting a third and 12, which was very frustrating. And Brian Johnson, not Joey Sly, ended up kicking a field goal in the second quarter, and we took a 10-7 lead into the half. No scores in the third quarter, but Pitts started the fourth with a TD on the trick play on a fourth and seven, also very annoying. Johnson kicked a second field goal, 
and then we took the lead with 6.23 left on the TD to Cam Phillips. The two-point conversion that Cam also caught right after that was wiped out due to a BS illegal man downfield penalty, which they never call. And in the final minutes, we had Pitt dead to rights. It was fourth and four, and they got the 74-yard pass to Wea, tackled by on the shoestrings by Reggie Floyd at the one-and-a-half-yard line, and it was initially ruled a touchdown, but they reversed it. And then we had the goal line stand, stopped them on four straight downs to win, as the clock expired, the final was 20 to 14, and I went nuts when we stopped him on that fourth down. It was unbelievable how this played out because with six minutes left in in the fourth quarter, I still felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen, and everything happened except for we didn't get the touchdown. Like I, 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 like I almost felt like oh man I'm so down from these past two games and we keep giving up these big plays and I just felt like it was going to come down to the end and somehow Pitt was going to get a long yardage play and you know get it into the end zone and it almost happened if it wasn't for Reggie Floyd and what he did on that play which was was pretty incredible on top of the day that he already had with one interception and led the team in tackles a lot of things that he did on that side of the ball. Yeah, when Wea is running down the sideline, that gut punch feeling was just, it was like taking me back years to some of the other heart-wrenching defeats we've had. And I'm just watching him run. And I'm, I'm watching Reggie Floyd run behind him. I'm like, I don't even care if he tackles him. He's not going to get there in time. He, they're going to score on the next play. Like, this sucks. We're going to lose. The season is going down the toilet. And he tackles him, and it's a touchdown, but then they review it, and it's not a touchdown. I'm like, I'm still thinking at that point they're going to get it in. But once first down happened, it instantly made me hopeful. Like, I, I don't, it was something about the way the guys just got off on the line of scrimmage. It changed the mentality completely because the clock was running. Pitt was out of timeouts, I think, after first down, correct? That's right. And once they had to down spike hit, on, they had to spike on, they had put ran one more and then had to spike on third. They, they didn't spike. Oh, no, they were going to spike on, they call said they were going to spike on third. They threw the pass. So. Right, right, right. So we stuff them on the first play and there were so many guys involved in all the plays from Gaines, Ladler. We had Stroman on third down who, which might've been the most impressive one of all because was it we out to the side? I think it was. And Stroman sees him at the last second and runs over to cover him. Well, and he got a signal. I think it was from Ladler. Um, French called it out in one of his uh, reviews. He got a signal. It was it, while it was a terrific heads up play on Stroman. He got a signal. I think somebody else caught it. I think it was Ladler or somebody gave him a wave over. And then Stroman saw him and then booked it out to the side to make that terrific. Ter- because that pass play. It was a good pass. No, was a well, it was a good pass, and it was a great call because that guy just snuck out to the side. Everybody thought that they were going to spike it to you know to stop the clock. I mean, that was a terrific play call. And Stroman's defense was awesome once he was over there. So then it's fourth down. They brought Darren Hall down three yards behind the line of scrimmage, but it was made possible by. Gaines and Hill and Motupuaka and just everyone forcing their way through because that I've never been so impressed with our defense this season because the the way they were able to penetrate was unlike I've seen like it, it reminded me of the really dominant defenses we had where it seemed like we were in the backfield every play they Pitt never really got close they they squeaked on first down like up to the one and then drove him back and then they never got close again. It was utterly incredible to watch and watching it live with my mother behind me, watching me watch a game, watching me scream. And I everybody went through a lot of emotions there because I'm watching the, there's the long run. I think it's over. And just to kind of summarize all this, the long run happens. I think it's over. I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, okay, well, they're at the one and a half yard line. Look at the clock. They can drain the whole clock. They can take all four downs. And they the way that they're running the ball, it's going into the end zone. Do we let them through? And once this is after the call gets reversed. 
do they we let them through because they can just eat up the rest of the clock Absolutely, there's no yeah. problem and that came up in the press conference and it was like was that even on the table and i think the joke amongst the coaches was no like there's no chance that fuente or Brad, we're gonna pull the ball and onto their side, as opposed to letting Bud and his team do their thing, which was the right decision. Ended up being the perfect decision. But I had the same thought in my mind. It's like, do we just let them through? We'll have a minute or so left on the clock. I don't have all the times down, and then we try and you know we try and win the game on our side, on the offensive side of the ball. Which, yeah, we can get to that. But it was probably <laughs> not the best side. But for those guys to all come together and it was it was honestly beautiful on senior day on and when everything mattered at home like pitcher and in the bud foster lunch pail defense you can make all the jokes about it that you want but to see that was one of the most impressive four down stops um that I, I've honestly ever watched in college football. Yeah. That's how they were at the one and a half yard line. And in fact, I think they moved up to the one yard line at, at one point. You probably after um, first And then down, they got yeah. pushed. Yeah. And that's just incredible with how gap sound you have to be, with how every point everybody has to be, and everybody did it. It will go down as one of the best moments in Virginia Tech history. I don't see how it couldn't. And it's kind of funny to think back to the two point conversion. Because if we get that and we're up 21 to 14, does the defense play with as much vigor because there's a cushion? You know, would would they have played as hard at the goal line if it had been a seven point margin instead of a six? I don't know. But the way it happened, the way it unfolded, in retrospect, I'm kind of happy that it happened like that because it made for great television and great drama. But Clearly, on that fourth down, there's no reason Wea should be able to make that play down the field. And Mook, I, you know, I don't want to speak ill of the dead because that's what he looked like on the field after he hit Wea. But he went for the big hit like he does so many times, and he freaking got knocked out by a huge guy. And he might be done for the year, too, because of it. I, it was not a good play by him because if he makes that tackle there— we could have killed the game at midfield instead of all the way in our end zone. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I do we want to stay positive all, here? <laughs> yeah, I know I have no, cause I have other negative things to talk about. We need okay. to talk about the passing game, which is atrocious at this point. Um, and is a big concern going in. So, uh, my point is, is he always goes for the big hit. It happens every time it's, you know, and, um, you know, he caught his this time. Right, yeah. like he he went for the big hit against a guy that was bigger, faster, and had a literally a full sprint momentum. Right. <laughs> of like, you're not, you know, who can take it? Like, back in the heyday, Chancellor is the type of guy that could take down somebody doing that to him yeah. with that amount of speed and momentum coming right at you. You go low, you tackle, and you roll, and you just like you know, you hope you can pull that guy down because he had a full head of steam coming at you, but. But I, it's yeah. It's neither here nor there. I don't. I don't think it was the smartest decision for both his body and for the team at that moment. Quite frankly, the whole but series. He was in the moment. Yeah, that whole drive, the whole series, the whole ending, summed up our defense. You said it from the beginning about how the explosiveness and it's a really good defense, but we give all these like what happened on that final drive for Pitt and our defense was just a summary of our season. Like big plays. But when it comes to the red zone, we've been very good. We haven't let a lot of rushing touchdowns get in the end zone all season. And it, it was just a perfect summary. And the way it ended was just so beautiful. To see Motu Puaka on the ground, just like completely exhausted. And just the guys running and jumping, the coaches hugging. Like it was, it was so cool and something I'll remember for a long time. In fact, I was hugging when it ended as well, because we were at old Busthead Brewery out in, uh, out in Virginia. I'm not sure of exactly where it is, Ashburn or Fairfax or what, but we're in the brewery and they had the game on the projector and we got there. Cause I was on a birthday party bus. We got there like right when that last drive was starting and a bunch of other tech guys on the, on the bus. And when it ended, we're all just like high five and hugging. Like everyone in the place thought we were nuts. I'm sure. But it was it was awesome. I love it. I love it. 
I want to go into some of what's happening on in the passing game. And I'll, you know, not to go negative Nancy, maybe we should hit that and then just a couple more shout outs to the to the defense because I did have a couple others that I thought were important. So they struggled. What I would characterize is it started off okay, uh, but for the most part, really struggled the entire game. Um, we had there, you know, Josh Jackson threw one interception. I thought he probably could have thrown two to three others. The, at least two of them got swatted down. One of them I know was by Cam Phillips. Another one, it might have been Cam Phillips again that swatted down. That could have been interception. So uh, whatever you know, whatever was could have been a lot worse. My um, my question coming out of this game remains. I know we've moved into ACC play. The stats have kind of shown that we've moved into ACC play um, and in Josh Jackson's stats, but something has fundamentally changed in this offense and in what we're seeing, and it comes up um, in a lot of different ways. So this was the second highest number of passing attempts that we had this season, which would seem counterintuitive when the run game seemed pretty good this game it, at least it started that way lowest completion percentage of the season it's also the second highest uh, attempt distance so we're throwing the ball further down the field as opposed to using more screen passes and things that are short to maybe get josh so it was the second highest number um and it was actually by a decent amount uh, the distance that we're th- you know josh is having to throw the ball downfield um and then since duke uh jackson has had this was his lowest, and then, but since Duke, his lowest third and fourth lowest completion percentage on long passes as well. So we're throwing the ball further down the field, and we're not getting any of them done. It's not really a function of the completions as much as we continue to go uh, deep uh, on our passing. And I don't know what the is a function of, whether it's the play calling or what Josh is deciding to do. And then there was, I told you about this, um, we went one for 12 on passing on first downs, 8% in the game, uh, which that never is going to set you up um, to have a lot of success when you're on second down, you know, second and 10 that often trying to be productive. So I don't know what your thoughts are. I can't really pinpoint what the change is, but there's something fundamentally different about this offense and what we're doing, and maybe it's a confidence, a play calling. I don't know, but you know, interested in your thoughts. Well, I think it's time we stop blaming the young receivers because there were so many receivers open in this game. It was nice to see Patterson out there. He got a couple catches, but he was wide open for a touchdown at one point in the game, just missed by Josh. Savoy was also wide open for a touchdown. That might have been on the first drive. I'm trying to remember. But Josh doesn't look right. I think when his arm got bent in Miami, it's been bugging him because he has not looked anywhere close to the same the last two and a half weeks. So I, I'm going to make an excuse for him. I don't know if it's 100% the reason, but 17 for 37 is a nightmare for him. I mean, that's that's really bad. And he's making those decisions a lot of time. You know, he has RPO, so he can... He can decide to hand it off or run it himself or throw it, and he was choosing to throw it and kept missing. <laughs> and they were way off. A lot of those passes, yeah. because I record, I have to record where I record where he's passing to. Not even if somebody catches it, like where the ball is getting passed to. Mm-hmm. And a couple times I had to rewind four times because the ball was so off from the mark that I couldn't see where the actual pass was intended to be. You're, I think you, you're right. I, I think you, he might be hurt. I think there, and maybe not hurt. I, he may be hurt twofold. One, he may be dealing with something small but nagging that's not making him comfortable. And then just mentally, you know, mm. kind of, you know, he's got, he's a little bit, you know, shook. And um, I think you're right. I, I just, I feel like something's different. Like the, it, it doesn't feel like the same offense he was running before. And I don't think it's because of the defenses keying in on what he's doing solely. Like you said, the run game was good, and they did exactly what I asked them to do. They got 150 yards rushing and four yards a carry. That's what I said in the last one. That's what I wanted to see. 
They ended up with 3.9 yards per attempt technically, but if you take out the sacks, it was 4.3. So we'll, we're going to do <laughs> you that. You were close. We're going to do that. We're going to take out the sacks. Uh, McLeese, 70 yards, 5 yards per attempt. Holston coming along here, 52 yards, 4.3 yards per attempt. I was looking at his carries throughout the year. He's 3.8 yards per carry over the last 22 attempts, up from 1.8 over the previous 23. So it's a two-yard increase in his carry average, and the defenses have remained about the same. So it's nice to see what what Holston is doing, and he could very well be our bell cow of the future. That remains to be seen, but I like the progression he's making. Cam became the all-time receiving yardage leader in Virginia Tech history on the go-ahead TD catch on senior day. That is sweet. That is really, really sweet. I mean... Eight catches in total, 117 yards. He had a day and is only 82 yards away from 1,000. And that was a big thing when we started this podcast. We wanted to see a 1,000-yard receiver. Isaiah ended up doing it twice, right? Well, Cam could be the first one to do it in the regular season. It's going to be interesting. And did you you notice what pass it was on that he caught that? It was the same pass that we threw the pl- prior play, yep. and it was the same fade route that we've been trying to like make happen. And and it's... the fact that it was underthrown might have worked out. <laughs> yeah, stop trying to make fetch a thing. All right, that's all I'm saying. And yeah, the fade patterns might it... have to be phased out. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was fine. I was super happy for uh, him to get it and for it to happen that way. It was a short pass, which actually ended up helping us uh, in the in the long run, helping him be able to catch it. But hell, uh, you there you can't say enough good things about what he's done for this offense and how instrumental he's been, along with Ford. I mean, those two came in together and they both started as freshmen, uh, yeah, you know, true freshmen, and since then have done nothing but, um, you know, be be great leaders for the Virginia Tech uh, football team, but also just kind of great representatives of the school program. So I know the records are all well and good and then, you know, really happy for him, but it means so much more for him being part of our program. Nine tackles for loss as a team, just to continue with the good things. Four sacks, Tremaine, he added two and a half tackles for loss in a sack. He has a tackle for loss in each of his last five games now. And has 11 total on the season. Remember a little while ago, we were like, he's really not putting up the production. Well, it's starting to really heat up. And he's been very, very good the last few games, despite the team not playing so great. Motu Puaka on senior day, seven tackles, two tackles for loss. Good game by him and nice plays on that final goal line stand. Settle had a sack. Stroman had an interception and two pass breakups. Reggie Floyd, we talked about, was kind of the star of the day. If you had to pick one guy on defense because of the game-saving tackle, most notably, but he was having a great game besides. Only one bad play I ever called by him was on the first touchdown to Lopes. He could have had him in the in like the backfield or really early on and just missed the tackle, but good game by Floyd. VT, 10 of 19 on third down, better than we've seen in a while. And Pitt, just 2 of 12 on third down. Yeah, that stood out to me because you went... That That's what was so weird about the game is we kept getting... As opposed to some of the other games this year where we kept going out on third down, this game we were actually com, you know, getting completions on third down and then the very next drive not sustaining. <laughs> it was so weird when I looked at the stat afterwards... Because you want to be like, oh man, I bet we sucked on third down, but we it was a decent performance, and the defense two for twelve. I mean, that is that that makes a rough sledding day for any opponent. We, there's a couple more bad things I wrote down. I don't even know if I want to talk about them. Uh, I might just yeah, the trick play that was super super stupid, and I hated it, and it worked, and it sucked. Uh, the third and 12 that they ended up leading to their first touchdown, that sucked bad. I, I'm tired of giving up these long third downs. That was only two of the ones they had on the day, but that one was really annoying. Uh, and 
Joey Sly's health going forward. I don't know what the status is. Brian Johnson seems like he can make make the close ones, so that's at least good because this UVA game it might come down to a field goal. And I just wanted to say a final shout-out to the seniors. They were great for the most part. I mean, the offensive line seemed to do what they did with those four seniors I was yelling about on the last podcast, Osterlaw, Teller, Gallo, and Chung. And the seniors on defense, Faison, Motuapuaka, Stroman, they all showed out big time. It, it was it was a team effort on the defensive side of the ball and some big plays that we needed from our our best offensive player in Cam Phillips. He came through on senior day too. So I wanted to give them a final shout out as well. Yeah, Teller's going to get a very final shout out. So I don't know how many of our listeners are actually on Twitter or not on Twitter, but for the people that track stats for offensive linemen, Teller has the most remarkable offensive lineman stats that you will ever see this year. That guy is, if he is not getting drafted high, I don't know that Virginia Tech's ever going to be able to produce a high draft pick because his stats by pro football focus by pretty much everybody are out of this world. I would suspect he'd be one of the first guards taken. They're not always the hottest of the prospects, but hopefully a, a top round pick. Um. Final thoughts. It was such an important win just for momentum's sake. And the fact that we have hate week coming up, uh, we're in it now. And it happened in extremely memorable fashion. And I just wanted to draw a quick parallel to last year. Because on the same weekend last year, we played Notre Dame. We were down. We came back and we won a stressful game in memorable fashion. Late game heroics were needed just like Pitt. And it helped us build momentum before UVA. And we went out and we smashed them. I don't think that will be the same result. I don't think we'll win 52 to 10 or whatever this year. But I think it helps immensely. Yeah. Last year was uh, at home. This year's on the road. So that's something to take into account. And UVA is much better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the same players that we were worried about... I, I use worried in quotations because we weren't that worried last year. The same players that we were worried about are back this year. And in fact, you'll hear their names here shortly on the preview. And there's very few of them that have left the team. Uh, so, yeah, I think, but I think the parallels are very, uh, very important. I do think that there are a lot of seniors here that want to go out. Uh, in important roles that also those roles are can be a little bit of our weakness. So, for instance, I want a senior going out when our offensive line is not playing as well because I know it's his like last game and he's just going to go balls to the wall, right? That's <laughs> I want in our weakest positions the people that want to play the best um, and and vice versa. So that that could be a positive for us is that in some of our weaker positions we have. Uh, seniors that that want to go on a great note. Well said. Let's take a beer break before we get into UVA. What are you drinking, Rob? It is a New England style IPA. It's called um, Slip Angle. It's from. I'm going to absolutely butcher this because it's from Winchester, Virginia. So of course. Uh, my friends over in Winchester couldn't make this one easy to say, but uh, Escuchion Brewing. I think that's how it's pronounced. You guys will probably just send us a message saying I screwed it up. It's a good um, New England style IPA. It's relatively local, about 45 minutes from me. And I'd never seen this before. Uh, I'd never seen this brewery before. So I saw it, I picked it up and it's it's not a full body kind of New England style. It's a little bit maltier, kind of uh, almost a double, but it's it's relatively good. It's tasty. I'm drinking the Shiner Holiday Cheer. Thanksgiving is just a couple days away, so I'm already into these holiday beers right now. So I went with this one. It's clearly Christmas themed, but it fits the bill for a good Thanksgiving Day beer. Ale brewed with peaches and pecans and natural flavor of caramel. 
So when I first tasted it, I thought it tasted cherries, but I guess it was the peaches and caramel kind of mixed up together. It's very fruity, but really enjoyable. I feel like if my mom had this, she would really like it. But uh, I, I'm enjoying it. 5.4% alcohol. It's from the same people that bring you Shiner Bach. Shiner Holiday Cheer. I would definitely drink it again this holiday season. You know, I just realized there's been a lot of mention of moms on the last two podcasts. I was saying the same thing you were about last or two years ago, UVA game, screaming at the television and my mom thinking I'm nuts in the living room. And that just happened to you as well. And I just, I must have it on the brain because I'm about to see my entire family in a couple of days. But, uh, but yeah, I am hoping that this UVA game doesn't go like that one, or at least is not as stressful, but I'm afraid that it might. I have a uh, sinking feeling that it's going to go, it's going to be a close game. And I think you do as well. Just given UVA looks like they have, um, well, they've given a couple teams a run for their money and we can get into that here shortly, but it, it, this may end up being closer than most would hope. Yeah. UVA is six and five this year. And if you listen to our summer preview, we were way off on UVA. We were right on on Pitt, but way off on UVA because we both thought they would be dreadful. Uh, and Bronco has helped them to turn a corner this year because they seem a lot better just as a whole. Incremental improvements uh, at almost every position despite the loss of Smoke Mizzle. It's impressive, honestly. They're 65th in the S&P, which isn't great, but they were so bad last year. And Connolly was actually pretty much right on. He projected them at 70, and I thought that was just silly. There was no way they were going to be that high. And they're actually higher. So kudos to Bill Connolly because he he pretty much had that right on the money. And they're currently 59th in the Massey composite. So that's the upper half of FBS. Their best win is definitely against Boise State on the Smurf turf. I remember watching that one. We had both picked against UVA in that game, saying that Boise would uh, would cover, and UVA just stomped them. Uh, Boise was out there without their QB, but the QB doesn't play defense, and UVA torched them. Ben Kurt was unbelievable that night. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Then they have, you know, even more recently, they're coming off of. It's a weird situation because they're coming off of four losses out of the last five games and their sole win was Georgia Tech, uh, which is actually, <laughs> yeah, which beat us. The ACC just does what it does. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Yeah, the ACC wheel of death. You have GT losing to UVA, beating us, and then promptly losing to Duke. And not only losing yeah. to Duke, but getting kind of throttled by Duke. They got throttled. Um, and their losses, uh, UVA's BC, Pitt, uh, Louisville, and Miami during that stretch. That said, their most recent game, they did take the loss to Miami. However, that game spooked a lot of Miami fans. And I don't know if you went back to, I watched a little bit of it. Um, there were kind of two things that came out of that. One was UVA with 12-20 left in the third quarter was up 28-14. They were up by two touchdowns, um, you know, uh, that far in. And it was a three-point game, 28-31, with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter before Miami rattled off those two touchdowns. It was a three-point game going in with four minutes left in the game. So I know the scoreboard says a lot different, but that is not how that game played out. They kept them close right to the end, and then you know the floodgates kind of opened up. They damn near covered that 19.5-point spread, but they only won by 16. But you're right. UVA had multiple two-touchdown leads in that game, and admittedly, it was a good spot because it was a noon game after two really big wins for Miami. Everyone who bets was like, you got to take UVA in this spot. And just because there was a letdown factor for Miami. And and there absolutely was early in the game. It was evident. And then they got their bearings and they kicked ass. Yeah. 
but it, it and it was this was on the road for UVA. That was not, I mean that was that was Miami's third home game in a row. Now they go on the road to to Pitt, but and let's see was, what the ACC can do in this one because that's it is ready for a go ACC moment and Pitt winning that game, isn't it? It just shades of 07 and WVU, like it's it's right there, man. The point being is that UVA, I said this from the bleach comments earlier, is a better team than we expected them to be. And they've proven it on the field. They have lost some games. They uh, And we can get into some of the you know, finer points of their offense and defense. One thing about UVA, uh, unlike us, is they've stayed really healthy this year. They lost the cornerback, Tim Harris, uh, early on. But otherwise, it's been... It's been a really healthy year for UVA, and they didn't have a lot of depth. So that's another reason they've been a little bit more successful. Yes, they've hit the skids lately. They played well against Miami, but the second half of the season hasn't gone like the first half. And it's probably just a regression to the mean. But their health is a big reason for their improvement this year. Let's get into the offense. This is definitely the worst side of the ball for UVA. Ben Kurt, while a decent QB, he's pretty average, if not sub-average. He just has the ability to play a very good game on rare occasions. They're 110th in yards per play, 79th in the S&P on offense, and they throw the ball a lot despite the fact that their quarterback isn't that great. I, I think it's kind of surprising because uh, their offensive line seems okay. I feel like they could be more successful running the ball. But as the season's gone on, they've run the ball less and less and less and just thrown more and more. I don't feel like they have a lot of depth at uh, running back. Um, but to complete your thoughts there on um, on Beckert, he's he's tough to figure out, right? So he is. he's coming off 380 yards and four TDs against a good Miami defense. Um, he threw pick. Uh, was it one or two picks in that game? But in any case, he was 17 for 18 in the first half with 262 yards and three TDs. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, that stat, that stat line against Miami's defense is ridiculous, especially with how good they've been this year. He's at 60% completion percentage, 2,900 2, yards, 25 TDs, and eight interceptions. But a lot of that, to your point, has been... Um, built up in a few games rather than being consistent in every single game. So uh, that that's important uh, to recognize. I feel like on the running game, they have Jordan Ellis, but that's kind of it for them. That yeah, There's not really much behind them. In fact, their wide receiver, uh, I guess you would call him that, but Olamid, um, is their second leading receiver. And I rusher. think he's got like 180, or sorry, rusher, uh, 182 yards. So it's kind of a one-trick pony, I feel. And it's almost the complete opposite of what we're doing right now, which is u- using a lot of uh, you know people and running backs. But I think um, in the wide receiving game, uh, I agree with you. I don't, I don't see them going to the run against us. And so it comes down to Dowling, who's important, just because of his last name. Um, <laughs> and some people might be able to figure that out. Uh, Leveron, um, and then uh, Olamide, because I can't pronounce his his last name, but 800 yards, 600 yards, 600 yards, and then you know five TDs, five TDs, and seven TDs. They have three pretty good wide receivers. Yeah, I'm going to go with Zacchaeus, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus. But yeah, he has almost 1,000 yards total. In terms of rushing and receiving, he's, he's very close to a thousand total from scrimmage. And you're right; those other two guys have been pretty damn good. I mean, Lavron doesn't he have their best average? Yeah, he's at 21 yes. yards a catch. So he's definitely someone to watch deep. Uh, and Joe Reed, who also gets involved in the running game, and is one of their wide receivers, he had a 75 yard reception against Miami for a touchdown. So he's another yep. guy to watch on the on for the deep threats because you know we've been and especially up the more plays. recent he he's especially more recently he's kind of come to you know come to light that people are now talking about him and worried about him. Well, they are different from us in the running game in that they're really only using one back, maybe two, if you want to throw Daniel Ham in there. But 
the style, the fact that they're using wide receivers in the run game, we do that too. And the fact that they have 3.36 yards per rush and we're at 3.75, 3.75 yards per rush, that's pretty similar too. Like we both struggle to run the ball efficiently to the point that we need to involve our wide receivers. That that's it's similar in that way, but you're right. They don't have a McMillan and a McLeese and a Holston and a Stephen Peoples. They have essentially one guy that they rely on in in Jordan Ellis. And he's yeah. 5'11", 215, like prototypical size. He's a decent back, 4.1 yards per carry. But as I was saying initially, his carries have gone down every game. Like if you look at a, a graph of the season, it's like a slope straight down. Yeah. And then I think the last point on the offense is, and this stood out just kind of going through stats, was they have one of the worst fourth quarter offenses in the country. Like they're two what rated it's like rank like 123 out of whatever we're at now 126 or something like that in 130 so pretty close to um the worst fourth quarter offenses in the country so they are not finishing games i know people talk about georgia tech not being able to finish but uva is really not finishing if you look at that even that miami game they did not score after two minutes into the third quarter. They kept it close, but they didn't score, I don't think, until for the last um, quarter and, you know, call it five-sixth. So would you say that their offense is butts in the fourth quarter? Evan butts? <laughs> yes, I would go. I would, I would definitely go with butts. Evan butts, their tight end, has 27 receptions, a couple of touchdowns, 250 yards. He's a he's a good player as well. They have some options here in the passing game. I just think that if we can make them one-dimensional with our run defense, and if we put that stress on Benkert, he's taken a lot of sacks this year. He's not a runner, which might be the best news that we're going to hear all day about UVAs. They don't have a running quarterback because the games we lose almost always involve a good running quarterback, and he is not one, so that's good. All right, I think we should flip over to their defense. I think in position groups from a high level, the linebackers here are pretty outstanding, honestly, uh, for for UVA. I think they're a really talented group. Defensive backs have been pretty strong for them. And given um, a name that everybody knows um, in Andrew Brown, I think the defensive line has actually been the weakest for UVA. So jumping kind of right into it, and I don't know, you may rank those in a different order, Pete, but starting with the linebackers, Kaiser, Jordan Mack, Chris Peace, three of the four leading tacklers on the team. Not that surprising, except when you start to really dig into the numbers and seeing how much disruption that they're causing um, for other offenses. Peace has seven and a half sacks, 10 tackles for a loss. Kaiser has five sacks, eight for tackles for a loss, and Mack with three sacks and six and a half for a loss. Uh, I, I mean, that's a pretty good linebacker group in my mind. Uh, I don't know how you think about that. It's very solid, and I'm probably with you there. I was debating between the linebackers and the DBs to who's actually more talented or or just more experienced or deeper or whatever, but it's close. And Kaiser is unbelievable. Six nationally in tackles per game. And Jordan Mack isn't too far behind. Quinn Blanding in the secondary isn't too far behind either. But they do play a 3-4. So we've named three very good linebackers. They also have Malcolm Cook. He's not as good. And there's not a whole lot behind them. And that's the thing about UVA. They have been playing with fire or they're on thin ice. It's it's one of the two uh, with regard to their health because if they lost Kaiser or they lost Mac or they lost Blanding, this team would be in some serious trouble because there isn't a whole lot behind them. Their DBs, I'll, I'll just do a quick thought on them and then we can kind of attack the whole thing overall. Blanding is amazing. I, I know people get on him about his coverage skills, but he has been good yet again. The production... Four interceptions this year and over 100 tackles again. Thornhill, he had to move to corner from strong safety, and he was great at strong safety last year. He has 12 pass breakups as a corner. He has done amazing for them. 
after uh, the Tim Harris injury. And the new strong safety, Brenton Nelson, who I think is a freshman, he has four interceptions too. They have, uh, they've really done some nice work getting those guys up to speed back there. Uh, Bryce Hall, the corner, eight pass breakups. It's a good starting four in the back. Again, not a whole lot behind them. So we'll see if we can wear these guys down. They're, they're back seven, or I should say back eight, since they were on 3-4. It's a very good uh, rear of the defense. We need to put some pressure on them, get them tired, and see if we can wear them down. Because I think we'll be able to move the ball against this defensive line. Andrew Brown, we know him from recruiting. We know him from being from the state, all that kind of stuff. He turned around his career last year, moving to defensive end in a 3-4. It's worked well for him. Nine tackles for loss this year. And the other guys, not much to speak of. Only six and a half of their 27 sacks have come from the defensive line. That's not where their pressure comes from. It comes from the linebackers. So we need to figure out a way to attack them. I think Fuente's offense is good in this situation. I know it's been sputtering lately, but I think I think this defense is susceptible. It's good. It's better than their offense, that's for sure. But it's not as good as Duke. It's a little bit better than Georgia Tech. If Josh gets a little healthier this week, I think we'll be able to move the ball a little bit, but it's not going to be any 52. I'll tell you that. We're not putting up 52 this year. Yeah, if we do, that would be a remarkable effort on what we have versus what they have. <laughs> I did want to say one thing regarding uh, their defense giving up explosive plays, too. We have been very bad at giving up big plays. They've given up the same amount of big plays beyond 40 yards. We both have given up eight. They're slightly better um, in a couple other categories, but in plays of 40-plus yards, Virginia Tech and UVA have given up the exact same amount. So we'll we'll have our shots to make a big play on this defense. They are similar to us in style. We're just far better and deeper at a bunch of positions than they are. Do you have any overall thoughts on the matchup? Yeah, it's going to be a slugfest. I really think that this is going to be a close game. Um, I hope it's not, but I think it's going to be close. We didn't pick a good time for our offense to be relatively non-existent. Um, I hope that the run game can continue to improve off of what happened at Pitt because that's probably the best it's looked in a while, in, 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 in quite a while. Um, but I also think that they're pass game, which is absolutely their strength, um, comes at a time that our secondary is challenged right now with injuries. So I feel full confidence in our secondary and what they can do and what they can produce on the field and how well they can cover. But it's not great that their biggest strength is one of our uh, leading kind of injury-prone weaknesses right now. Um, That's not great timing. I think if we win this game, which I, I hope we, that we do, um, I think it's because Josh Jackson and the receivers figure their shit out and they figure out what's happening. I don't think this offense is capable of putting up massive rushing numbers. Even like last week looked good, but it's not like you know what a lot of teams put out there. So... Um, Josh and the receivers have to figure out something on the field. And if they do, then I think we can pull out the W. And I think if they don't, if we play the way that we played against Pitt, against UVA, we will lose this game. And I hope that's not the, and from a, from a passing perspective is my point from an offensive perspective. Yeah. I'm hoping that we can move the ball on the ground in this one. And Fuente hinted that we might have Steven Peoples back. I don't want to count that, on well, it. Well, that would be a game changer. We keep hearing that. and uh, I know. Steve, Stephen Peoples, he could help us. It's not going to be like Ryan Williams coming in the game, but it would help us a little bit. And the thing is, we don't need a lot. Like you said, it didn't look great. We had 150 yards. We don't need a lot to, for it to be effective and for it to take pressure off of pass protection. We just need... The, the the running backs to be pretty much average. Let's be honest. They can run for four yards a carry. That's not asking much in college football. It's not. And 
They did it last week. They can do it again. I know it's a tougher defense than Pitt, but Pitt always plays us tough. That being said, I'm nervous as crap. <laughs> like I'm very nervous about this game. I just think we'll be able to do enough to win. I, I don't think we're going to cover the spread. The spread seems way too high. And we can do that pick and then take a beer break and do the rest of the picks. But it's seven and a half. And last week against Pitt, it was 15 and a half. I don't know where Vegas is getting these lines because there's no reason this game should be seven and a half. I don't know if it'll end up getting bet down. The Pitt game got bet down on Saturday just a little. But I'm taking UVA against the spread. I think we'll pull out a squeaker, but I'm going to take UVA. Yeah, I got to take UVA. Uh, I think um, you and I cover every moment of news that comes out of this team, just like everybody else. And, you know, we follow, you know, all the rumors about who might be injured, could be injured, who could be dinged up, who might not be dinged up, what's, you know, et cetera. That's what Vegas is attempting to do as well. I think they're as confounded as we are on the reason that our offense has gone from, I understand the change in who we're playing, but Pitt does not have a good defense. Like UNC's defense is not great. It's not like we all of a sudden went from playing, (laughs) playing like power five to group of five opponents um, overnight and bottom of the group of five to top of the power five. Uh, Look at even the, Clemson game. I mean, that is a really good defense. That's a defense that is likely going to put them in the college football playoff. And at least we looked better against them than we have in some of these other games. Something has changed. And whether it's the way people are scheming us or the confidence that Josh Jackson has or the receivers or the loss of peoples, I don't know. Or maybe it's all of those things combined. But this offense has changed fundamentally and I don't think Vegas is catching up on it any faster than we are yeah I guess not because it it seems like it was an easy bet last week to take Pitt it seems like an easy bet to take UVA this week at least to keep it close I mean it's and you can say what you want you can make fun of it and it's hate week and yeah Bronco and the toaster and all of that Bronco is starting to turn things around over there and he's doing it with, to my count, like three players that we really wanted. Yeah. And other than that, they haven't even really gotten things rolling over there. Um, so, yeah, I think they, Bronco is a good coach. You can say what you want about him and this he's going to make it a tough game on us. All right, let's take a beer break before we make the rest of our picks. And do our sign-off. I'm drinking the Scuttlebutt Brewing Company 10 Below Ale. It doesn't really taste like an ale. It tastes more like a stout. It's very dark and has that stout-like color and flavor. It's uh, it's actually a really good wintertime beer. I'd never heard of Scuttlebutt Brewing Company. It's from Everett, Everett Washington. 7.4% alcohol. And it's really, really good. I don't... I don't know the definitions exactly. Like, is a stout a nail? Is, you know, it, what? I don't know, but it's pretty good. I like it. Hey, if it tastes good, then it is good. That's all that matters. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm going with uh, the Tower of Bones. It's a double IPA. River Beach Brewing Company. We're hitting all the new breweries that uh, nobody's ever heard of, or at least you know we've never covered on the podcast. This is out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. So we're spreading the love, trying to get a little bit more south here. Exclusively intensely hopped with uh, mosaic hops. It's 8%. Uh, a very good double IPA. Cool can. Haven't heard of them. Would love to go visit them. It's down in Virginia Beach, so... Pop in, uh, let them know that they have at least a good beer on the shelves that I can pick up because I've never heard of them, didn't know they were down there, but it's it's pretty delicious. All right, let's do these picks. There's a bunch of ACC out-of-conference games this week. We're not going to pick all of them. We're going to pick mostly the conference games and a couple of the uh, the big rivalry games. But let's start with Miami at Pittsburgh. I hinted that... 
I think this is a good spot for Pitt. Miami's coming up to the north on the last week of the season, ranked high. I don't think necessarily they'll stub their toe and lose this game, but I'm going to take Pitt against a 13.5 point spread. It's tough because Miami needs to really show up and you know make sure that people, after the UVA debacle, which I would call it a debacle for three quarters of the game, they're probably going to want to show up. But going up there, I'm going to take Pitt as well. Georgia against Georgia Tech, and this year is in Atlanta. Georgia is number seven in the latest committee rankings, and they are 11-point favorites against Georgia Tech. Who do you got, Robbie? I think I'm going to take Georgia here. Um, yeah, uh, Georgia Tech, uh, the wheels have not come off, but they, they've shown susceptibility in a few different games, and I don't know that they'll be able to keep it that close in this one. I think it'll be a t- couple touchdown game. I'm going to take Georgia Tech only because they seem to give Georgia problems. I could definitely see Georgia just slaughtering them. I mean, the fact that Georgia Tech went out and got crushed by Duke, I I don't even know what to do with them anymore. So I just kind of think they're going to have this one close for the sake of college football. And it's just the crazy manner in which things unfold sometimes. Boston College at Syracuse. BC is three and a half point favorites. I'm going to take BC. Adazio for life. (laughs) I think both of the starting quarterbacks are out in this one. Anthony Brown for BC and Dungy is, I think, doubtful. So this could be very ugly. (laughs) Yeah, well, did you expect the fact that that BC's quarterback being out was more impactful than Syracuse's? I like, know it's they they actually have a quarter they have a quarterback this year it doesn't even and he's young he's got like two more years left they could actually have a real offense here at some point I think he's the same year as Josh Jackson I think he's a redshirt freshman Anthony Brown yeah so he could he's be around a for a time. while Duke at Wake North Carolina <laughs> matchup in this one Wake is twelve point favorites against Duke. How can I not take Wake? How can I not take Wake? <laughs> you're taking them with minus. I'm taking Duke. You're not. You can't take them minus twelve. I don't think the line makes a lot of sense. I just can't go against Wake because every time I do, I lose the bet. So I'm going to take that Wake. line. Looks like somebody just threw feces at a screen. It has no. Why minus twelve? I don't in know. That it's game. weird. It's weird. Especially after Duke coming off of the win. Like it's just so weird. Wake is playing at a high level right now, man. So is Duke. They just smashed a team that Duke we struggled with. Duke had lost with. five games straight before they beat Georgia Tech, who they dismantled Georgia Tech. They could, Georgia Tech couldn't handle the success of beating Virginia Tech. <laughs> Next game, this UNC at hand. NC State. We're we're staying on Tobacco Road here. We got another one. <laughs> NC State, sixteen and a half point favorites at home against UNC. You going coastal or you going Atlantic in this one? And NC State just the, the ACC is so messed up. It's so hard to follow like what's happened, but NC State's taken bad losses. UNC had like a decent win. I, I might as well just go with UNC for the hell of it. I think this line might be more preposterous than the Wake 12 point line. Like 16 and a half. NC State just lost to Wake. They yeah. barely beat BC. BC covered in that one. I'm taking UNC. UNC's been playing better. They just beat Pitt. I'm gonna I'm gonna take UNC as well. Clemson at South Carolina. Clemson's number three in the new rankings. And South Carolina, well, we said earlier, is number twenty four. Fourteen Clemson. point favorites. Okay, Clemson. I'm gonna take South Carolina. I think this this game is always close. It's always close, man. I think even when Clemson was going for national titles and Spurrier was on his way out or he left that season early like a bitch, South Carolina still kept it close. So I'm going to take South Carolina. I just want Clemson to win so that South Carolina gets kicked behind us. That would be nice. Otherwise, they're jumping up and we're not moving anywhere in the <laughs> playoff rankings. Yeah, I don't I don't think South Carolina is going to win. I just think they're going to keep it to like 11. I don't know. Something weird. (laughs) Alabama at Auburn. The big game. 
Alabama's number one. Auburn is number six in the latest rankings. And Alabama is four and a half point favorites. Who do you got? You're up. I picked the last one. I'm going to take Auburn. I think they're pretty good. I can't really explain their their second loss of the season, but they had a close one against Clemson. They killed Georgia. I just I think they might win this one and turn college football on its head. I want Auburn to win, but I'm going to pick Alabama. How's that? You're doing my like that's that's my move typically. I I typically take Bama. I just didn't look doesn't look right to me. I I, I feel like Auburn's going to pull this one off. Maybe even I mean Alabama. Right. You know, I mean you look at the Mississippi State game. They kept it close against Alabama, so it's it's not impossible. Auburn looks good. It's just it's so hard to know when Auburn's good and when I they're know. not good. I know. The UVA game for the last six, seven years, it's one of those things where they're going to get us one of these years. It's going to happen, and it's going to be extremely painful. And every year that we win, the pressure mounts just a little bit more for the next senior class to be another one that finished without losing to UVA. Yeah. It's It's a tough spot to be in, and it's success, you know, breeds pressure to be successful. I mean, that's the way it works. I feel pretty good about us winning. I I know UVA just played well, but they haven't been playing well in the weeks leading up there too. They beat Georgia Tech. There was a bunch of weird things that happened in that game, and we know Georgia Tech is Jekyll and Hyde. So they, they got blown out by Louisville. They lost a pit, I want to say, by 14 or 17 points. They haven't been playing at a high level, and Ben Kurt, I think, will be able to get to him and really just shut down any semblance of a run game and make him suffer all day long. I, I still think it'll be close. They'll be able to muster some big plays and get some points on the board, but I really I really hope we win, and I, in, in my heart of hearts, gun to my head, I, I think we will win. Yeah, I think we will. I but I think it's gonna be a close game and but I think at one of these years we're gonna get <laughs> we're this we're gonna yeah. stub our toe. I don't know what year it's it gonna be. be. It might be year. two years or it five years be. from now. It could be something, but it's yeah, that's just the way it goes. I yeah. I just think that they did not add much to their team this year, but they performed a lot better this year which shows me that's a coaching improvement and you know that's that's something that we got to keep on our radar you can't just dismiss a team you know uh, every year and then not think that they're not going to come back and screw you over at one point so it could happen if it's going to happen any year it's going to potentially be in the year where you're playing a freshman QB on the road who seems to be dealing with an injury so that's not the most <laughs> sunny outlook on the game I just think the defense will be able to do enough to to get us this win. All right, make sure you hit us on Twitter. Any comments or questions you have this week, at 2DVT. Go to the website. Robbie's updated all the stats. It's 2DVT.com. You can see how Josh is progressing throughout the season. Last week's numbers were a little bit rough, so you'll see those graphs pointing down only slightly. And... 2DVT at gmail.com if you want to send us anything. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes. And I think that's it. Till next week when we're hopefully recapping a win over UVA and going 9-3, and three, which would be pretty amazing. Go Hokies. <laughs>